Judges 7, we're picking up right where we left off. God had called Gideon. Uh, in, the, in the previous chapter, we saw that uh, God called Gideon. Gideon had already taken a stand for the Lord by, uh, by tearing down these, uh, these, these, these altars that were there and chopping down the Asherah pole, all these places where Israel was worshiping these false gods. Uh, Gideon had kind of stepped up to the plate. Uh, God was calling him. He was still kind of making sure that it was God. He had put that fleece out. If you remember for the end of chapter 6, all right, God, if it's really you, I'm going to put the fleece out and let there, be, uh, let there be dew all over the ground, but the fleece be dry. And then he said, all right, well, let the fleece be wet. Let there be uh, 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 the, the ground be dry around it. He was really making sure that it was God who was calling him and who was leading him to go against the Midianites. Now, the Midianite were a great enemy to the Israelites. We've seen that uh, up to this point throughout the story of Gideon. Gideon. The, the Midianites and those who were partnered with them had really brought hard times on Israel. Now, this was Israel's fault because they had turned from God and they had turned to these other gods and God was using these enemies, these foreigners, to come back in uh, and things were really tough. But the Israelites had called out to the Lord and he had called up Gideon to deliver them. Now, usually by this point, and as much as we've, we've read, we've already seen the judge come and deliver and all as well. But in Gideon's case, we're still just kind of getting started. He still hadn't quite gone all in and was ready to go and do what God called him to. And things are fisting to get even more difficult for him in this passage tonight. So let's read through these verses. Judges 7 verse 1. We'll read through a few verses, then we'll talk about it. Jeroboam that is, Gideon, and everyone who was with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them, below the hill of Marah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many people for me to hand the Midianites over to you, or else Israel might brag, I did it myself. Now announce in the presence of the people, Whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the people turned back, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many people. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. If I say to you, This one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, This one cannot go with you, he cannot go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouth was 300 men, and all the rest of the people knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you, but everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept 300 who took the people's provisions and their trumpets. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That night the Lord said to him, Get up and go into the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go to the camp, go with Pura, your servant. Listen to what they say, and then you will be strengthened to go to the camp. So he went with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the troops who were in the camp. Now the Midianites, Amalekites, and all the Ketamites had settled down in the valley like a swarm of locusts, and their camels 
were as innumerable as the sand on the seashore. When Gideon arrived, there was a man telling his friend about a dream. He said, Listen, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, struck a tent, and it fell. The loaf turned the tent upside down so that it collapsed. His friend answered, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelites. God has handed the entire Midianite camp over to him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these words, and I pray that we'll get something from them tonight, dear Lord. I pray that you'd be glorified through everything that we've just read and heard, and I pray that you would help us to uh, see ways, dear Lord, that this applies in our life, God, to help us to, to learn the history of what your word says, dear Lord, and to see the greatness of how you are and how you can do, God, a lot with a little, dear Lord, that there is nothing that we can't do with you on our side, dear Lord, that the things that we are up against or our victory against them is not determined by how strong we are. It's determined by on whether or not you're with us, dear Lord, and I pray that we see that through these words tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is quite an interesting story. Now, here we see at the very beginning of this passage we just looked at, we see Gideon referred to as Jeroboam. Now, that was a name that his father had given to him once he stood up and tore down those, those uh, Baal altars and cut down those Asherah poles. And so here the author is calling him by that name, but he also makes a note here to let us know who this is. This is Gideon that's being talked about. And everyone who was with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Harad. The camp of Midian was north of them below the hill of Marah in the valley. Now, where this has taken place, if you remember our map, it's kind of on the northern part of Israel. So all of these things are taking place in the north. And what we see here is that the Israelites are camped very closely to where the Midianites are. There's not much distance between them. They are fairly close together. And God is telling Gideon, all right, it's time for you to go and overtake the Midianites, except, God says, you have too many people. Now, wait a minute. We have, might have to reread that and double check again. Wait a minute. Too many people? How can you have too many people when you're going to fight against another, another army? Now, logic would tell us, at least human logic, that if we are going to war, we want the most people we can have, we want the best weapons we can have, and it don't matter if we outnumber them a million to 200. That's great. That's what we want. But that's not what God said of Gideon. He said, look, you have too many people. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find strength in numbers. We probably all do. If I was going to war and I had about a million soldiers behind me and some tanks, I would feel pretty good. And Gideon probably was not much different than me and maybe some of you. He probably would have found some comfort and strength in numbers, but that's exactly the point. That's what God was trying to keep Gideon and the rest of the Israelites from doing was find strength in their own strength or find comfort in their own strength. God wanted the Israelites to trust in him. And so he said, look, you got too many people here, Gideon. So God says, here's what you're supposed to do. Tell them if they want to leave, if they're too afraid, if they're fearful, if they don't want to fight, then just tell them to go. Now, God's not making this difficult. He's giving the people an option here. God says, look, if you don't want to fight, you don't have to fight. Now, we see here that there were... 32,000 Israelites, and 22,000 of them left. So over two-thirds of the ones who were there to fight, they left. They took, they took Gideon and God up on the offer. All right, I don't have to fight. I don't want to fight. I'm gone. That still left 10,000 soldiers, and God said, guess what? 
That's too many. Now, I don't know what Gideon's response was. But my, my response probably would have been, are you kidding me, God? I mean, 10,000? I mean, really? Now, we don't see in this passage how many soldiers or fighters there were for the Midianites, but we will see that in, in the chapters to come, that there were, if I'm not mistaken, 135,000 Midianites. So the fact that uh, Gideon had 32,000 to start with, well, he still only had about a fifth as many uh, soldiers fighting as the Midianites did, and now God has stripped that down to 10,000, and if that wasn't enough, now God says, you still got too many. God told him, look, I want you to trust me. I want you to know that it's me that's doing this work. I don't want you to trust your own strength. I don't want the people of Israel to think they did this on their own. I want them to know that there is no possible way that the army of Israel could overtake the army of the Midianites unless I, the Lord, was working for them. That's what the Lord was telling Gideon. So he uses kind of this really strange way, in my opinion, to separate them. Now he tells Gideon, I want you to take them all down to the water, and I want you to watch how they drink. Now this was 10,000 men. This probably would have took a while. I mean, you don't just scan around and say, oh, that, that, that. I mean, 10,000, that's a, still a lot of people. And Gideon is supposed to see how they drink the water. Now, there are some who are going to drink from their hands, and there are some who are going to bend down, and they're going to lick up uh, water like a dog. And God says, the ones who drink water from their hands, those are the ones that you were to choose. Those are the ones that you were to take with you. And that number was 300. So that whittled them down really quick, from 10,000 to 300 people. Now, Maybe there was some logic behind that. I really don't know what God's purpose or reason was for uh, distinguishing and choosing the people in that manner. I guess one theory that I heard that could be possible, although I don't put much thought into it, but I'll share it with you just so you can keep it in your mind too. And that is, if those who are bending down and, and leaning down and licking up the water, uh, they, they wouldn't be very good soldiers because they wouldn't be paying very good attention to what was around them. Now, I don't know if I believe that that's the reason why or not, because... What we are going to see, spoiler alert here, if you don't want to know what's going to happen in a few verses next week, close your ears. But what's going to happen is when the Israelites go in, they're not even going to use any weapons. They're going to go in and they're going to be able to overtake these Gideonites, so, I mean uh, Midianites. So I don't think God was picking necessarily the best soldiers of the bunch, although maybe he was. I don't really know what God's reasoning was. As strange as it may be, though, that's the means by which God chose to separate the ones who were going to go. So here is Gideon and these 300 Israelites looking out across at 132, 35, ever how many it was, thousand Midianites. Now the Midianites were big in number as we see that in the verses we just read. They were like a swarm of locusts. We've seen them referred to in that way on a couple of occasions. They had uh, camels that numbered as, as many as the sand of the seashore. Now, that's quite a bit. Now, I don't know if that's to be taken literally. I think that's just a number to tell us they had a lot of camels. That shows how powerful and how strong that the Midianites were. And so here was Gideon and his little 300 men, and they were supposed to now go, and they were supposed to overtake these Midianites. But obviously, God knew Gideon's heart, and he knew he wasn't quite uh, ready for the task that he had called him to. And so even though the camp was below them in the valley, as the text said, Gideon wasn't still raring to go. Now, I can understand that. 
there's part of me that make it say, well, he should have had more faith than that. Well, so should you and me. Because I probably wouldn't be just chomping at the bit to go down with 300 men, take on a big army. I would really have to pray a lot about that. It would be something I'd have to say, all right, God, are you sure you want me to do this? I might have to put the fleece out four or five times in a row to make sure, all right, God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? And so God recognizes that, and he tells Gideon in verse 9, he said, The night the Lord said to him, Get up and go into the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go to the camp, go with Pura, your servant. So God says, If you're still afraid, I'm going to give you some more encouragement to let you know that I'm with you, to let you know that everything's going to be okay. Now here we have another strange story that kind of unfolds. If the, if the drinking uh, from, the, from the water wasn't strange enough the way that God does that, well now we have this whole another set of events in this second part of the passage we look at. Gideon goes with his servant Pura, and they're close enough to the camp that they go down to the camp, and they have to be pretty close to where the, uh, where the enemy is there. It doesn't really tell us exactly where they are, but they had to be pretty close. And so it sounds to me like they kind of snuck close to where the enemy soldiers were, and they were close enough that they could hear their conversations. And when they get there and they begin to listen, what Gideon hears is he hears one of the Midianites talking to the other Midianite. And he says, hey, I had this dream. He said, I had this dream that there was this, this loaf of barley or a cake of barley that came and it knocked over this tent. Now, that's kind of a crazy thing. Now, if you can imagine a loaf of barley or a loaf of bread, if you throw a loaf of bread at a tent, what's going to happen? Well, it ain't nothing going to happen. It's just going to bounce off and that's going to be that. A loaf of bread ain't strong enough for nothing. Sometimes a loaf of bread is so weak when I'm wiping the mayonnaise on it rips apart. I mean, that just tells you how weak bread is. Bread ain't going to do nothing. It's the weakest thing probably just about you could use. If you were going to use a weapon, bread would be at the very end of the list of things that you would choose. I mean, you would not choose bread as something that would be strong. But in this dream that the Midianite had, here come this bread, and it hit this tent, and it knocked this tent over. It destroyed this tent. And he's explaining this dream to this other Midianite. And of all things for this other Midianite to say, you know what he said? He said, that's Gideon, son of Joash. He's going to come and he's going to destroy us. That loaf of bread represents the Israelites and we're the tent, we're the strong one, and we're fixing to get overtaken by this weak loaf of bread, the Israelites that are coming in. Now, I say that's a strange story because it kind of is, but what's even stranger to me is how in the world did the Midianites even know about Gideon, the son of Joash? Now, maybe they had heard stories. Why in the world would they have thought that, that the Israelites would overtake them. I can't imagine that any Midianite in their right mind would look at the Israelites and be afraid. They had been oppressing them for seven years, the text said. They were way stronger than them. They way outnumbered them. <clears throat> How in the world would the Midianites have even been able to interpret such a dream and interpret it in a way that was correct? Well, the only way that they could have done it was by the Lord. The Lord had to have revealed to this Midianite who was discerning this dream. For whatever reason, God revealed to him exactly what was going to take place. He revealed to them that the Israelites were coming and they were going to overtake him. And when Gideon heard that, he said, all right, I'm ready. Now, here's two good examples of things that 
Only God could do. Only God could take 300 men and go up against an army of over 130,000 and destroy them. Only God could reveal a truth to an enemy who would otherwise not know a truth in a way that would bring fear to them. And that's exactly what God did in this story with Gideon. Now, this is a great story to me because it reminds me, and maybe it'll remind you too, that there is nothing that we encounter in our life that is too big for us. If God can defeat the big army of the Midianites with 300 men, then what can God not do? Well, there's nothing that God cannot do. When there are things that are going on in your life that you cannot explain, that you don't understand how they make sense, that you don't understand why God is doing them that way, well, I want to tell you that God is doing them that way for a reason. No, I, I bet you that there are things in your life that don't make any more sense to you than God separating out some men by how they drink water. That's the craziest thing. That don't make any sense to me. I don't know why God would do that, but you know what I know? That God's ways are higher than my ways and God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And God don't do things the way I do. Now, if I'm separating out an army, I can tell you what I'm doing. I'm looking for the biggest and the tallest and the strongest and the toughest dudes that I can find. But not God. He says, how do you drink water? All right, you make the team. What? How does that make any sense? Well, it doesn't make any sense. And there are lots of things that God may have done and may do in your life that don't look like they make sense. But God knows what he's doing. And whether the things that God does make sense to us or not, it does not matter. All that matters for us is, am I going to trust God? Am I going to trust what God is doing? Am I going to trust what's happening in my life, even if I don't even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't make sense, am I going to trust God enough to say, God, I don't know what's going on in my life. It is upside down. It is twisting. It is turning. This is tough. That is tough. This don't make sense. God, why am I going through this? God, why am I going through that? God, why isn't this working out right? God, I don't know the answer to any of those questions, but God, I know that you're in control, and I know that all things work together for the good of those who trust you. So God, I'm trusting you. Now, sometimes we're a little slow like Gideon to get there. Sometimes we are a little slow to get to the point where we're saying, God, I'm ready to go. But we need to know that God is going to be with us no matter what we are up against. Whether it's the strongest enemy in the world or whether it's just making it through the day uh, without going off on your coworkers, getting on your nerves or whatever it may be. There are lots of things in our life that we come up against uh, that are tough for us. Whether it's the smallest thing or whether it's the biggest thing, God will be with us. If we seek him, if we trust him, he will deliver us. Uh, against those things that are tough for us, against those things that are scary for us, against those things that are hard for us. And if God can deliver the Israelites with 300 men that don't even have any weapons, then I promise you God can deliver you in whatever situations and circumstances there are in your life if you have faith in him and say, all right, God, I've read your word. I know your promises. I know what you say, dear Lord. I know you're going to be with me. God, I trust you and I'm ready to go. And Gideon finally got to that point. And I hope that we all get to that point. Some of us, it may be slower than others, but that's the place we want to be where we say, all right, God, I've seen enough. I've seen your word. I know your truth. I know your love. I know your strength. And God, I'm going. Wherever you send me, I'm going. Whether I'm alone or whether there's an army behind me, God, I'm going because I trust in you. That's what Gideon did, and that's what you and I need to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words tonight. 
And God, I pray that you can help us just to, just to be as strong as a loaf of bread, dear Lord, because you can do a lot with a little. And so, God, I pray that if our faith would even be that strong and we'd trust you that much, God, that we'd know that anything encountered, dear Lord, we encounter uh, can't stand against us, dear Lord, that by your strength and by your power, God, that you can deliver us uh, through the greatest storms in our life, that you can help us to overcome the greatest enemies we may face. So, God, I pray that we would trust you. We would trust your strength. We would trust your ability and that we wouldn't fall into that same trap that you didn't want your people Israel to fall into, and that is God trusting in ourselves. God, let us never trust ourselves in our own personal strength. Never let us trust ourselves in this church to think that we as a church have done anything on our own because, God, there's nothing in our lives, there's nothing in this church that we have done. We cannot take credit for it. But, God, everything good that goes on, everything that happens, dear Lord, it's because of you. It's because you provide. It's because you give us the strength. It's because you give us the guidance, dear Lord, and all the good that's done, everything that's accomplished in this church and in our lives, God, is because of you, and I pray that you help us never to forget that, help us never to boast in ourselves, but help us to trust you and know that you're the one that's doing the work. And I ask these things in Jesus' name.